Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co host, analyst Diana Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern speaking, your co host, joined as always by my co host, Diana Laufer. Hi, everyone. And this week in studio, we have Vice President Research Director Harley Manning back for another episode. Hi, Harley. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you. So, we wanted to talk to you about your new report called The Customer Experience Transformation Imperative. That's a mouthful, so I said it slowly and read it. <laughs> Absolutely. What we concluded, leading with the punchline here, is that it's not whether to transform your customer experience, it's when and how. And in fact, to do that transformation, you have to play the long game. It's not something that you can do overnight. It's not something you can do with a lot of little tactical changes. Right. And in part, the, from the speech, but this is, I think, one of the themes in, in the report as well, you highlighted the fact that um, old world business strategies were sort of losing their effectiveness. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about when you see them disappearing altogether in terms of being impactful. Yeah, this research actually started out you know, as kind of part of a series that could be titled Things That Really Bother Me. And uh, one of the things that really bothered <laughs> me is that there are a number of companies that are um, successful despite the fact that they're performing very badly in terms of their customer experience as measured by our customer experience index. Now, there aren't a lot of these companies, but you always wonder, you know, uh, what is that exception? Why is it able to be an exception? Right. And, you know, companies like Spirit Airlines, which is absolutely you know, horrible, they, they, they charge you $50 just to carry on a bag. <laughs> uh, their seats don't recline. They're the lowest actual consumer brand in the index. Their score is horrible. So clearly their customers, because keep in mind, these are, this is a survey of people who are their actual customers, <laughs> hate them, loathe them. And yet they're extremely uh, successful. We looked at their compound annual growth rate from 2010 to 2015, and it was 18%, which wow. is preposterous. Yeah, that's yeah. almost three times uh, the, the Kager, uh, revenue Kager for Southwest, right. which is very successful among major airlines. But Spirit is just, it's at a class all by itself, and it's profitable. So it's not just growing, it's profitable. And there are other examples of companies like that. So we started taking a look at whether or not there were any patterns mm. that we could discern we saw just a small number of them. And what it really boiled down to is a thing that you alluded to, which is that there are uh, some strategies that have worked for years and years yeah. that uh, continue to work to a greater or lesser extent. Hmm. And they explain all of those highly successful, poor CX companies that we found. And it really boiled down to three. Uh, one was unbeatable low prices, which explains Spirit and also Frontier. It explained uh, Ryanair in, in Europe before um, they, they made their pivot and actually improved customer experience. <laughs> or uh, these companies have a monopoly of some sort, and that can be a government-granted monopoly. It could be a monopoly that comes from having a, a unique product. Or um, there's a classic thing that we, we don't talk about a lot in business, which is that uh, you create or exploit barriers to competition. Um, for instance, there are industries that have extraordinarily high 
uh, startup costs. You know, for yeah. instance, if you need a manufacturing plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you spend that money, if you sink those costs, then you don't expect a new competitor to pop up with billions of dollars to compete with you. Right. And so to, to get to finally to get to the answer to your question, how long are these things going to last? Well, it, it really it depends on which of those strategies the companies are exploiting. For instance, the unbeatable low prices thing, unless you're targeting a very specific market segment that's willing to practically be abused for a uh, rock bottom price, <laughs> that's already over. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, if you look at Walmart, you know that that was uh, their claim to fame. They were massively efficient. They they had these distributor networks, and so they became wildly successful. But if you take a look at their same store sales, they're flat. They're just not growing at all, except uh, online and by building new stores. And this is why they, you know, for instance, bought Jet.com recently. So that that unbeatable low prices thing, that's already gone. Mm. The monopolies thing, that's got a little bit more staying power, uh, depending upon what kind of monopoly you have. But those are fading too, like the geographic monopolies. cable providers originally. Nowadays, you can get over-the-top services on anybody's network. So you can, if you, you know, really want HBO, you can just buy internet access and get HBO <laughs> now. Uh, patented drugs, copyrights expire. So the monopolies have a little bit more staying power, but they're falling. Finally, the barriers to competition. That usually requires somebody to come out of left field and innovate into the market. For instance, car manufacturers right now, the thing that's disrupting them are business models that don't require someone to own a car in order to travel, right. like, mm-hmm. like Uber and Lyft. It's like if you if you're you know if you recognize that the consumer goal is not to own a car, but just to get the reliably from from A to B, then you can suddenly <laughs> just go right around all those startup costs. Right. So that's that's what's happening is that you have to really bring your business acumen uh, to customer experience when you're trying to understand why it is uh, you're you're struggling to compete against somebody who everybody knows uh, stinks in terms of how they treat their (laughs) customers. Your position is these companies that traditionally deliver really poor customer experience, they might be okay now, but they're not going to be performing well for long. So then the question is, are they going to be able to pivot from their current business model to deliver better CX when they are start to get disrupted by competitors that are already delivering better CX? Can they scramble out of the quicksand <laughs> yeah. of their, their redu- reduced market position? Yeah. Does Spirit have any hope? <laughs> well, so, you know, so the thing is, is what will happen with, with Spirit, for example, is that I highly doubt that they can change their business model to any great extent. So I think what they'll probably do is you'll see them continue to grow like crazy right up until they get to the point where they've saturated that market segment. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to grow into new market segments. I mean, you and I can afford to pay a reasonable price for a plane ticket. Um, I've talked to people like us who have flown Spirit just to give it a try, and the summary statement afterwards is always, I will never do that again. I'm in that camp. I've flown them exactly once, and that will be the last (laughs) time I ever fly them. They probably have a huge set of customers who have flown them exactly once, right? I would imagine. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I guess that's probably true. Yeah. So what we would see with someone like that uh, is that at some point they'll hit a wall, and for them the the danger is that someone else will come along uh, and do exactly what they're doing with a slightly better customer experience in their same markets, because that's exactly what happened to Ryanair in in Europe uh, when EasyJet came along. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, can they make a pivot? I, I don't think they can. I think it's 
fundamental to their business model that they focus on that ultra low cost. And they might make a little improvements around the edges, uh, but I, I can't see them making a large scale transformation. Uh, some other companies, though, are. We're seeing some great examples. You know, AT&T is kind of a, you know, in some, some ways it's a hmm. poster child for a monolithic company that uh, you would think, gee. Ma Bell. Ma Bell, right. Exactly, exactly. And they're uh, making a huge pivot right now. I think they have an excellent chance at making that pivot. What they're doing, though, is they're investing uh, over a billion dollars and connecting all of their properties, the wireless, the uh, AT&T U-verse cable offering, the DirecTV acquisition, into a seamless offering, which they realize is really hard to do, and that's why their their CEO uh, told them, here, here go spend, uh, you know, spend hmm. this money to do it. And then they're also creating an over-the-top service so they can be on other people's networks with their services. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. Uh, so it can be done. Uh, some will do it. I think most, it'll either be antithetical to their business model and they won't, or uh, they'll say, yeah, in theory, this is a good idea, but then they won't actually do all of the things that you need to do in order to uh, play that long game and win. I think what you're talking about with AT&T, this this billion-dollar investment, you know, that's not just we're going to actually transform CX. We're going to put the investment behind that. That always requires buy-in and leadership from the CEO. I know a lot of companies don't have that, so what can they do? Can they transform? Do they have any hope in this new world? Yeah, especially because our listening audience probably doesn't include that many CEOs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what are the people listening who only have an influence, you know, try to can persuade someone who can greenlight that kind of spending? What do they do? Yeah, well, so first of all, don't sell your CEO short. Uh, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're usually pretty bright people, and they often will come to a realization if you put the put the right arguments in front of them, which, you know, typically involve uh, an economic argument. So one of the things you can do mm. if you're a customer experience professional is bone up on your ability to make a business case and to understand how your company makes money and uh, be able to do some simple modeling. Yeah, buddy up with your finance folks. Buddy up with your finance <laughs> folks is great advice. Yeah. Uh, there's somebody there who's probably bored out of their mind, but is wicked <laughs> good at uh, running the numbers. Who'd be happy to help you out with this. Uh, so don't give up on your CEO initially. But if it turns out that your CEO really is totally married to the old world model, uh, you have to either wait for that CEO to get for things to get so bad that they get booted, which happens with pretty good regularity. <laughs> <laughs> Or barring that, build out that resume and and start looking. Uh, right now, CX is pretty hot field to get hired on. I mean, I hate to, hate to say that, but the reality is some of these companies just aren't going to make it. And if it's really clear to you that they aren't, uh, just you know, take your talents to an organization that actually does uh, care about CX and is investing in it. I think that's good advice. Wait out the CEO because they, they can't stay in the role forever if they're not uh, pivoting to a better strategy. And if that doesn't work, uh, move to another company where... There is more of a uh, long-term plan, long-term future. I don't really see a a good alternative to that. I mean, if you take a look at uh, companies that are just making sort of little changes around the edges uh, so far, and it's not to say that they will continue to do that in the future, but in an industry, well, let's take airlines for a second. Let's go back there. Uh, You know, you look at the big guys. You look at uh, Delta, uh, American, and United. Delta has really made significant investments in terms of transforming their customer experience. And it's gotten a lot better, and they've separated themselves from the pack. United has not made a comparable effort. 
And so when we compare revenue growth in the industry and we look at United, they're clearly looking at a shrinking number of air miles, essentially the number of miles that they fly paying passengers. So Mm -hmm. that's a business that's uh, the only reason it really looks good in any dimension is because they've got really good utilization of their capacity, and that's because they reduce their capacity. At some point, they're going to have to either uh, make a pivot to get in the game uh, and and go through that investment, or uh, this incrementalism approach is going to see them reducing capacity on a regular basis and just Hmm. doing their best to fill diminished capacity. Sooner or later, that's not going to play well with investors. Well, talking about firing their CEO, they can their CEO last year and have a new one in place who does talk a lot about customer experience. So it'll be interesting to see if anything changes over there. Uh, one would hope that the, the new CEO will take a lesson. <laughs> well, you know, this is uh, uh, years ago at um, at Sprint, and Sprint certainly has, has had its challenges and continues to have its challenges. But around 2007, 2008, they were facing an existential crisis. I mean, we could easily be looking at a 2016 where Sprint didn't exist. We could yeah. have been going Sprint. Wait, weren't they a wireless company? But uh, Dan Hesse, when he came in, said, you know, I've got to fix a bunch of these problems that are running up our costs and making us unprofitable. And he did. And uh, I, I bring him up because, in fact, the two previous CEOs before him had 10 years of like 18 months each. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they barely <laughs> warmed up the chair that they were sitting in. And that really is what comes at some point of not paying attention to customer experience. It's, it's really just that powerful a dynamic in a world where customers increasingly have choices. Great. Well, Harley, thank you for joining us again on episode of CXCast. The report, listeners, that we encourage you to go check out is called The Customer Experience Transformation Imperative. And for our listeners in Europe, Harley will be speaking on this topic at our European CX Forum yep. that is on November 15th and 16th in London. We'd love to see you there and you can hear Harley talk about uh, this content with, I imagine, European examples in person. Definitely with European examples. Europe is fascinating in terms of CX transformation, so I really look forward to it. Great. Well, thank you, everyone, and thank you, Harley, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's CX Cast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at sstern at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality. Mm-hmm.